what I'd like to invite everyone to open their Bibles to the Book of Proverbs. Our 12th sermon in Proverbs takes us today to chapter 10, verse 8. Proverbs 10, verse 8. I wouldn't consider myself real adventurous when it comes to movies and TV shows. In fact, when Mallory and I decide, like, we want to watch a TV show or a movie, we do the same things over and over again. We find what we like, and we stick to it. And if someone suggests you should watch the show, like, five years down the road, maybe we'll end up watching We just watch the same thing over and over again. And one movie that we like to go back to is a movie called The Secret Life of Walter Hitt. Uh, it's a feel-good movie about a guy who is always daydreaming about living an adventurous life, uh, who is then forced to go on this long journey across the world to track someone down. Uh, and in order to track this person down, all he has is three or four photos as clues. And so the movie follows Walter as he tries to follow these clues and, and find out what these photos mean and how they can lead him to who he was looking for. Uh, it takes him all over the world on these like crazy adventures. He goes to Greenland and then to Iceland, all the way to the Himalayas in Afghanistan. And it turns out that the most important clues seem like the most insignificant one. Even though Walter travels the world trying to figure out what this photo is, what this clue is, he finds out that its meaning has been in his own apartment back in New York the entire time. Whether it's, it's Walter Mitty, or a mystery novel, or, or Sherlock Holmes, or whatever, what makes good stories are those little elements that don't turn out to be what you were expecting. They, those little elements that turn out to be more than what you were expecting. Those, those things that you didn't see coming, or those details that are more significant than you realize. Those are what usually makes really good stories. Now, I think, generally speaking, we evangelicals in the Southern Baptist Convention have a decent grasp on doctrine and theology. I would say that we understand the Bible well. But if there's one element that's more significant than we ever realize, it's the use of the tongue. The tongue and how we use it is that little detail that's so easily overlooked but in reality, there is so much more to it than meets the eye. This is more than just customers. This is about how intimately connected our words are to our hearts. This is about how we use our words, our speech, and even our ears to get what our hearts want. How we use them as, as either weapons or as tools. How we use our words as either destroyers or builders. This is about how our words, sometimes even more than our actions, are windows into our soul. So today, I'm going to ask us some self-examination questions. Questions intended to help us assess ourselves. And I want us to honestly assess our speech and the use of our tongues so that through wisdom 
and the work of the Holy Spirit, our words and speech would not be used for self-serving, but for self-dying. So we come to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. Look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 8. It will be on the screen as well. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. The first part of, of using our tongues correctly actually doesn't have much to do with our tongues, but with our ears. The use of the tongue includes listening properly just as much as speaking properly. So the first question today is, do you use your listening for self-reinforcement or discernment? Do you use your listening for self-reinforcement or discernment? So what's interesting here in, in chapter 10, verse 8, is, is the contrast between receiving and babbling. That's the, the contrast that's happening here. The receiving and the babbling. The wise receive while fools babble. It is true that when we don't want to listen, we babble. We talk our way out of listening. I mean, how many times, as a kid, were you told to do something and you always had an excuse? But, but, and your parents always said, no buts! Stop babbling, you fool! But Solomon says, this is what happens any time I get an argument. I'm too busy thinking of what I'm going to say next or how I'll retort that I don't listen and simply try to receive what's being said. I babble my way out of listening. And the reason that we do this, the reason that this is our natural bent, is that instead of humbling ourselves and entertaining the idea that we could be corrected and, and repenting, we want our views to be reinforced. It's as chapter 15, verse 14 says, The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feeds on folly. I'll read that one more time. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feeds on folly. Again, notice the contrast. The contrast is between seeking knowledge and mouths feeding on folly. That's the contrast that's happening. So somewhere in our hearts, there's a difference between honestly seeking knowledge and feeding on what will simply reinforce our folly. Somewhere in here, what's happening is we're either honestly seeking knowledge or simply feeding on more and more of our folly. This is a problem because we all like to think we're seeking truth. Nobody's actively trying to seek lying or deception. We all want to seek the truth. But if we don't pause to think about who we're listening to and who we don't listen to and whether we're truly trying to learn, we become more and more convoluted and even deceived. You see, the Mississippi River in Minnesota, it's, it's a small creek and it's, it's clear as glass and near about drinkable. But by the time it reaches New Orleans, it's completely changed. It's dirty and unappealing and unstoppable. Our hearts and our ears are like rivers. And if we aren't careful about how we listen, 
we'll pick up all these tributaries along the way that don't actually help us, but turn us into unlistening and undiscerning people that's near impossible to change before we know. We'll become by Proverbs 18.2, which says, The fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. We become fools who don't care to try to understand or think differently because we already think what we have to say is more important. I'd like to say that one of the biggest barriers to the gospel, to believing the gospel, one of the biggest barriers to believing biblical truth isn't being a crazy, pagan, unbelieving atheist, but a lifelong churchgoer or self-proclaiming Christian who always says, I know that already. Proverbs 29, verse 12 says, If a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will be written. Now, what's interesting about that is I always thought, like, he, he listens to falsehood, it's like, how can he know the difference? Right? If he's listening to falsehood, maybe he doesn't know what the truth is. But then I realized, no, no, no. You can't always tell the truth from a lie. Sometimes it's hard. But you can be careful how you listen. It's not just for rulers, this is for us, too. Be careful how you listen. And, and did you catch this? It doesn't just affect you. If you aren't careful how you listen, then those in your influence will also become like this. It doesn't really come down to falsehood or truth. It comes down to what you want to listen to. The difference is between listening for either self-reinforcement or listening for discernment. Chapter 10, verse 32. The lips of the righteous know what is acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked what is perverse. What we want to learn is how to receive what is good, what is acceptable, and what is profitable. We want to listen for discernment. Right? So we ask these questions. In what ways do I listen only to have my own views reinforced? Do I tune out other voices that might challenge me or correct me? Do I dismiss others out of hand? What element of truth is there in this? What are they trying to say? Am I giving everyone the benefit of the doubt, or do I only give the benefit of the doubt to those who already what can I learn from them? These are questions of discernment. Chapter 10, verse 14. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin here. Marie Kondo is a Japanese woman famous for her organizing and cleaning them. And she goes to these houses of orders. And what she makes these orders do is take all of this junk that they've hoarded over all these years and ask a 
simple question. Does this bring joy? Does this bring meaning to my life? And if the answer is no, even for a split second, she makes them throw it away. So they end up getting rid of all of this junk. And so instead of simply asking, does this bring me joy? Let's ask, is this right? Is it good? Is it true? Acceptable or profitable? And let's be treasuries, not hoarders. Let's be treasuries, not hoarders. Obviously, you can't talk much about the use of the tongue without talking about the words of the tongue. So the second question that we need to ask is, do you use your speech for self-protection or edification? Do you use your speech for self-protection or edification? So again, let's go back to chapter 10, verse 8. The wise of heart will receive commands, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. This is both closely followed by verse 10. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and the babbling fool will come to ruin. So winking the eye involves some kind of secrecy or manipulation in order to trick somebody. And what this tells us is that not only is our speech used to avoid listening like we saw, but also used to actively tear down. I would say most of us, if not all of us, have guns in our homes. And besides hunting, I would say we would want to use those guns we have not for attacking, but for self-defense. Right? We never point a gun at somebody unless it is a very grave situation. If only we treated the tongue in the same special way. Because we pull the trigger with our speech without giving it a thought a hundred times a day. Proverbs 11.19 With his mouth the godless would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. The, the contrast, right, is between destroying and delivering. Psalms making this contrast between destroying and delivering. And what's this deliverance, true deliverance, happens when we use our knowledge to not tear down our neighbor. That's the difference. That's what deliverance is in this verse. And you guys know the phrase, right? You guys know it? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's ridiculous. That's the worst phrase ever because word wounds can hurt more deeply and more long-lastingly than physical wounds ever could. And so this is why we are warned in chapter 29, verse 20. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. In chapter 18, verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. When I was a teenager, I was rebuked over this because I was always interrupting somebody else's sentence. And I can still do this at times, I have to catch myself, but interrupting someone mid-sentence. But what I had to realize, and what I was made to realize, was what was happening is I was putting myself first and my words before somebody else. It was for self 
protection, self-glorification. It's the same with something like gossip. When we talk about people behind our backs, or with lying, fudging the truth to make ourselves seem better or look better, or with slander, tearing other people down by talking them down. It's all for self-protection, self-glorification. And so chapter 11, verse 11 says, By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But, but, but by the what? The mouth of the wicked it is overthrown. If our speech has the ability to destroy an entire city, how much more an individual person? We weaponize our speech in self-defensiveness in order to build ourselves up and to tear other people down. This is why you could go your whole life without ever uttering a cuss word, but your tongue still be used in the exact same way. In fact, I've heard that gossip is called the lust of the tongue. Lust exploits somebody else at their expense for our own pleasure. Gossip exploits somebody else at their expense for our own pleasure and benefit. So Proverbs 26, 28 says, much the same, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works real. The difference is between a heart that is sick and a heart that is healed. The sick heart can only spread sickness, but the healed heart knows what it's like to actually be sick. And so words are used and spoken differently. 12, 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The difference between sword thrusts and healing is rashness. We use our words change. 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The self-protective heart uses harsh words in self-defense. But the healed heart uses words for others' build. 17.27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cruel spirit is a man of understanding. And 10.19. When words are many, this is this is one of my favorites. Ten nineteen. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Using our tongues wisely isn't just about a no-no list of words. It's about understanding and asking why we use our tongues the way that we do. It's about what our hearts are trying to get. And so we read Proverbs 10 11, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So our words are either life-giving or sin-concealing. Our words are either life-giving or sin-concealing. So Paul writes in Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. 
Unwholesome is the opposite of that. Unwholesome is anything that would tear someone else down. The thing that I've learned in woodworking is flaws happen. And whether the pros still have flaws in their woodworking, I'm telling myself that they do, because I have lots of flaws in my projects. But one thing that I've learned is that a good woodworker doesn't point out the flaws in his projects, right? Instead, you try to conceal them or overlook them and, and just try to bring attention to the beauty of the rest of what you have made. And so we might know the flaws of another very deeply. We might have every right to use their flaws against them, but a people of grace overlook flaws to bring attention to the best of others. We either use our words for self-serving, self-defense, or others building, others Our example here is our Lord Jesus. And as the most righteous one, he could have used others' flaws against him. Instead, he showed the most flawed grace after grace and mercy after mercy. Didn't guilt trip, didn't hold it over their heads, didn't hold it against them. Even, even for the ones who rejected him, Jesus' rebuke was always full of grace in order to lead them to repentance. Jesus' speech was always full of grace, even when it seemed its harshest. So let's look to Jesus as our example. Let's look to Jesus as our substitute. Never did Jesus misspeak a word. Never was a word uttered out of sinful anger. Never was a word used to tear another down. Never was a word used out of place always in accordance with God's will. And yet he still suffered and died and hung on a cross as one who lied, who gossiped, who slandered, who died as one who used his words to attack and tear down. All to show and give mercy to those who do. He who only ever spoke righteously died for all of your unrighteous speech. And so, because he didn't treat us the way that we deserve, let us treat others with such grace in our speech and listening. No, they may not deserve it. They may not deserve gracious, kind words. They may not deserve extended listening, but that's the point. Grace is undeserved. So in our, in our speaking, in our listening, we want to marry grace and truth. We want to be a people of truth. We aren't afraid to speak the truth, but a people of unashamed grace. May we never speak the truth out of a place of anger, out of a place of selfishness or jealousy or attack, but always out of grace. And we find that grace in Jesus.
grace and truth. So as we leave today, my prayer is that we would have a better understanding of our tongues and our ears. That it's not just avoiding bad words. It's not just a, a list of yes words and a list of no words. It's about how we use our words and either tearing down or building up. And either self-reinforcement or discernment. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in your word says that the tongue is a tameless beast. Who can tame the tongue? No one can tame the tongue. Lord, it's as if we're captive to its will. Because with it is the power of life and death. And how quickly do we use it for death? How quickly are we, do we use our tongue for destruction? Lord Jesus, have mercy on us and our tongues. Have mercy on us and our, our listening. And because you are the one who showed us grace when we don't deserve it, because you are the one who shows us grace when our speech is wrong, because you are the one who is always listening to us, where may we show grace to others in our listening and in our speech. And may, may our lives follow in your footsteps as the life-building, life-giving God. And our words be used for your glory. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.